I'm going to be going to Galatians chapter 5 here in a moment, so you can uh, proactively turn there if you wish. Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to go to verses 22 through 23, then we'll read the context first. Galatians is uh, right after 2 Corinthians and my Bible, and it's in yours right after 2 Corinthians as well, I guarantee it. And so, if you find First and Second Corinthians, you can find Galatians right after that. And so, I invite you to turn there so that you're ready here in just a minute. You know, I was reminded just a moment ago of an illustration that someone recently gave. And the person had said that he kept a picture in his office or in his study of President Kennedy with Kennedy's small son, you know, his boy, in the Oval Office. And so Kennedy's there in the Oval Office, and his son's in the Oval Office as well. And the reason that picture is meaningful is because not anybody can get a hold of the President of the United States. You know, none of you probably, maybe some of you secretly, have a cell phone number for the President or for one of the former Presidents or someone, but uh, probably not. Not anybody can just call, pick up the phone, and call the President. But the President's child can pick up the phone and call the president. And generally, probably, I'd imagine, regardless of what the president's doing, he would pick up his phone and answer. And the reason that's important is we are a child of God. We are a child of God. We are adopted in God's family. And God picks up his metaphorical phone, his cell phone, and answers when we call. We can call and we can pray to him at any time, anywhere, regardless of circumstance, and he'll be there for us. And he is there for us in Christ, because of Christ, because of Christ's blood on the cross. You know, um, pests and bugs and rodents, even the thought of them makes our skin crawl. You know, so let's think about them and make your skin crawl. (laughs) Last year, we had a mouse problem in our house, but we captured them and they're dead now. And uh, at least we believe we caught about seven and a few died in the wall, but they left their smell so we would know for a few days. And so the mice, we think they're gone. But, you know, it's really funny because it really bothered me with the mice in the house until we got them all. Well, I saw this recently and I thought I'd share it with you. Pests find their way into everyone's home at one time or another. The question is, do we hate these pests enough to do what it takes to get rid of them? One survey says that depends on what sort of pest is in the house. Researchers found that people will dish out their hard-earned money for an exterminator, meaning they are really serious about getting results when the following pests are in their home. This gets a little creepy, so fair warning. 24% of adults, that's one in four, will pay an exterminator to kill spiders. I don't like spiders, so if the money's there, yes, I could go with that. Roughly the same number, 27% of adults, will pay to annihilate ants. Not a real big deal. Ants don't bother me that much. Not that you care, but they do Mercedes and Abigail. With the next pest, the percentage jumps to just over half. 56% will pay to banish bed bugs. 56%, that's just over half, will pay to banish bed bugs. So 44% are quite fine. The same percentage, 56%, 56% will pay to get rid of rodents. 
That's mice and rats. 58% will pay to kill cockroaches. Maximum creepy. So 42% won't. And then the number jumps again when we talk about the bugs that can bring the house down. Termites. 87% of adults, that's 9 out of 10, will pay to terminate termites. But notice that except for termites, almost half of adults will live with some very unpleasant creatures rather than pay a professional to ensure the pests are eradicated. This survey also showed that many people are willing to endure a certain kind of pest, but not others. Many are willing to endure certain kinds. Now, here's the connection with the spiritual. Take that concept to the spiritual level. And the same thing holds true. Many people are willing to live or feel they have to live with spiritual ants, spiritual spiders, spiritual bedbugs, spiritual cockroaches, spiritual mice, spiritual rats, or spiritual termites. Some sins we tolerate in ourselves, others we don't. But why? Why do we do this? As Christians, we are called to walk in the Spirit, to walk by the Holy Spirit, and to, to live our Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. It's not our power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit within us. It's the power of God within us. And we can, you know, pick up our phone and call Him anytime. Going back to that opening illustration. And... We are called to live by the Holy Spirit, and we can check to see how much we are living by the Holy Spirit by checking the fruit of the Spirit within us, the fruit of the Spirit. So today my theme is that we pray that we and our descendants will have the fruit of the Spirit. You know, I've been preaching on scriptures that have been uh, convictional in my life and in my prayer life. And again, I say, uh, pray your heart to God. But learn scripture and pray the word of God back to God. Pray the promises of God back to God. Three times Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And each time Jesus responded with the Bible, with the Old Testament. So anyone who doubts the power and authority of the scriptures just, have to, just, just has to read the account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. There's no better way to respond to temptation and to respond with the de- to the devil in the Word of God. So pray the Word of God. Learn the Word of God by praying the Word of God back to God. So my theme is today that we pray that we and our children, our descendants, will have the fruit of the Spirit. That we pray Galatians 5, through 23 for our family. That we ask God to help us to live and to walk by the Holy Spirit. That we ask God that we will have Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I have an apple. An apple. And uh, it's a generic apple, Robert. It's not a, it's just a store-bought one. But if you came up here and you saw this apple growing off this plant, something would be wrong with the picture, right? I mean... I wanted to take some string and tie it around, but this, I don't think this plant would be strong enough. But house plants or church plants don't give us apples, do they? They don't. Apple trees give us apples. Apple trees. And this is a fake, I think it's an artificial plant. I hope I'm allowed to say that. So there would be two things wrong with that picture if it gave us apples. But the point is, Christians are known by their fruit. And... 
In Galatians chapter 5, we're going to see here in just a moment, the fruit of the Spirit contrasted with the fruit of the world. And Christians get, uh, bearing the fruit of the world is as not, uh, just as not right as seeing an apple growing from a houseplant. Jesus gives us fruit. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus was talking about false prophets, and he said, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? It's an obvious no. Grapes come from grape bushes. Aren't they bushes? <laughs> vines, vines, thank you. <laughs> I'm from the city, okay? <laughs> I was just testing you, Elaine. Uh, Grapevines. We are known by the fruit we produce. And the Holy Spirit produces fruit. Christians have different fruit. Now, back on track. Galatians chapter... Now that you've had your laugh. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But if you look at verses 19 through 21 in your Bibles, please look at that passage... Paul says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which, get this, of which I forewarn you, just as I have already forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those are the deeds of the world. Those are the deeds of the flesh. These are things which you should not see on Christians. These are things that when they're on Christians, it's like seeing an apple on a houseplant or an apple on a grapevine, you know, or whatever. It's out of place. It's not right. Christians should not have immorality. Christians should not be impure. We should not have a problem with sensuality or idolatry or sorcery. These things are out of place with Christians. Enmities, strife, jealousy. Get that. Those are character things that deal with the fellowship of the church. Enmity, strife, jealousy. Those things are out of place with Christians. Those are, those are, those are of the flesh, of the world. Christians should not have outbursts of anger. You know, we should not have that. That's out of place with Christians. It fits with the world, but not with the follower of Jesus. Christians should not have disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And then Paul writes that he had forewarned them, and he forewarns them again. And this is really interesting. That those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to emphasize the word practice for a moment. Christians are still struggling towards holiness. We're in the sanctifying process. We're becoming more like Jesus. And we're still messed up. We will still sin. And when that happens, we repent and we move on. And hopefully, the pattern of our behavior is more like the fruit of the Spirit than this. It doesn't mean you won't get angry someday. When you sin in anger, you repent and you move on. Paul says those who practice these things. And so I believe it's the idea of a pattern of behavior. Christians should not have a pattern of worldly behavior. We should not have a record of ongoing, worldly, unrepentant behavior. 
You know, you're walking towards Jesus. You're walking towards Jesus. And you mess up, and you take a couple of steps back. But you repent, and you keep moving towards Jesus. The pattern of our life is hopefully Galatians 5, 22 through 23. In his book, The Obedience Option, David Haig illustrates what he calls overwhelming faith. I like this, overwhelming faith. Haig was talking to a young man who claimed that he could not stop, he could not stop his pattern of sleeping with different women. The young man knew it was wrong. He admitted it was wrong. But he also claimed that his sexual lust was inevitable. He claimed he just could not stop. In fact, in fact, but I lost my place. <laughs> there we are. He said it wasn't his fault, especially since he said God had created him with such strong desires and urges. Finally, Haig interrupted the young man and said, Suppose that I came into your room and caught you and your girlfriend as you were just starting this inevitable process. Suppose I took out 10 $100 bills, so you got $1,000 right here, and told you that that money was yours if you stopped. What would you do? Then the young man quickly said that he'd rather have the cash. So Haig asked, so what happened to that irresistible force of lust that was uncontrollable because God created you that way? Haig concluded, we both realized a very simple truth. One passion may seem irresistible until a greater passion comes along. If we take this principle into the arena of righteous living... It comes out like this. The only way to overcome a passion for sin is with an overwhelming passion for righteousness. This overwhelming passion for righteousness is actually a mindset that the Bible calls faith. Here is a helpful definition of this kind of overwhelming faith. Faith is a life-dominating conviction that all God has for me through obedience is better by far than anything Satan can offer me through selfishness and sin. Let me repeat that. Faith is a life-dominating, life-dominating conviction that all God has for me through obedience is better by far than anything Satan can offer me through selfishness and sin. We need to let the Holy Spirit reign in our life and give us this overwhelming trust in Jesus that is better by far than living for the world. The fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Paul says, but, but, in contrast to the ways of the world, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There is no law against, the, against these things because they are good things. <laughs> this is the way God wants us to live. Let's talk about these for a moment. Notice it says the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say, it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It's, it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit with many nouns that qualify it. Now, in saying that, I make this mistake all the time of saying fruits of the Spirit. But just notice the Bible says fruit of the Spirit. Actually, some could say the fruit of the Spirit is love. And this love is defined by joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we can break these, this fruit. I almost said it again. I almost said we can break these fruits. We can break this fruit down 
with mental or Godward qualities, interpersonal or otherward qualities, and general or selfward qualities. So we see mental or Godward qualities. These are qualities which God gives us to focus on Him. Love, joy, and peace. God gives us the ability to have love. And this is self-sacrificing affection for others. God gives us the ability to have joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. This is deep-seated gladness, regardless of circumstances. Regardless of difficult times, through the Holy Spirit's power within us, we can have joy. Peace. Peace, love, joy, peace. This is inner quietness and repose regardless of circumstances. Then there's interpersonal or other qualities, other word. And this is verse 22, patience. One of the fruit, one of the nouns that define the fruit of the Spirit is patience. This is forbearance, even under provocation. Under God, because of God, because of the Holy Spirit within us, we can have patience. Kindness. And this is the idea of benevolence and graciousness. Goodness. And then there's just general or selfward qualities. Faithfulness. God gives us this reliability, this, this ability to, to be faithful, to be trustworthy. Gentleness. God gives us this ability to have acquiescence to authority and consideration of others. And guess what? Self-control. That is the ability to master oneself. Imagine if we could just have self-control. That would help us with all the others. I want to take a moment to apply. One person wrote that her five-year-old daughter, Barbara, had disobeyed her and had been sent to her room. After a few moments, this young mother went to talk to her five-year-old daughter about what was going on. And so Tyria, the five-year-old daughter, said, why do, we do, uh, why do we do wrong things, Mommy? Sometimes the devil tells us to do something wrong, I replied, and we listen to him. But we need to listen to God instead, to which her five-year-old replied, but God doesn't talk loud enough, <laughs> which certainly sometimes is the truth, right? Or we feel that way at least. We all mess up, and we're all lacking the Holy Spirit uh, in one day, or we're lacking our own obedience to the Holy Spirit, should I say. I don't think we're ever lacking the Holy Spirit. We're lacking our ability to be obedient to him. And when we do mess up, we just need to acknowledge it, to repent and to turn around and follow Jesus. But imagine the witness if Christians had more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Imagine if Christians were more gentle. Isn't it wonderful, the idea of being gentle? I was watching a show, Dogs 101, and... Uh, I think it was Golden Retrievers, but Dr. Bancroft can correct me later on. They're known for their gentle, their, their gentle mouth. They can pick up an egg and move it from one place to another place without breaking the egg. You know, isn't it wonderful to think about gentleness and, and, and the idea of having a gentle disposition, a gentle spirit for Christians? Imagine if the, the witness of Christians, if Christians were known as those having self-control. If Christians were known as those who don't have to walk on eggshells around, those that are not going to just fly off the handle. Imagine the witness if Christians were known as kind. What if Christians were known as faithful? You know, we need to be faithful to God and to others. Christians ought to be known as those that are faithful to their wife, their husband, their children, their family. President Warren Harding 
There's a podcast called Presidential that I listened to a few years ago. President Warren, Warren, Warren Harding had affairs, many of them, many affairs. And these letters were found, these love letters about his affairs. And, and the family turned them over to the Library of Congress, I think it was, as long as they did not uh, disclose them for about 50 years. He was unfaithful. He was unfaithful. But Christians are to be known as faithful. Think of the witness of a Christian dad who is faithful. Think of the witness of a, 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 of a Christian mom who is faithful. I was listening to something about the history of Planned Parenthood. And the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was the founder of Planned Parenthood. A very, very, very uh, uh, unfaithful woman. In fact, she was very unfaithful to her husband. Her husband was faithful while she just kind of ran around being unfaithful. Faithfulness speaks volumes when Christians are faithful. People will ask us why we are different when we have the fruit of the Spirit within us. And maybe you already get this. Maybe you are different, and people have asked. But we can always grow. But the funny thing about fruit, though, it only takes one bad fruit to ruin the others. One Christian who cheats on his wife and runs around is more noticeable than all those faithful Christians. Don't diminish the witness that your lifestyle can be. You're a witness when you strive to live and love like Jesus. Henry Nouwen once said in a leadership journal interview, he said, I cannot continuously say no to this or no to that unless there is something ten times more attractive to choose. Saying no to my lust, my greed, my needs, and the world's powers takes an enormous amount of energy. The only hope is to find something so obviously real and attractive that I can devote all my energies to saying yes. One such thing I can say yes to is when I come in touch with the fact that I am loved. Once I have found that in my total brokenness I am still loved, I become free from the compulsion of doing successful things. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are... Henry Nouwen is still saying this. He says the fruits. He didn't know it's just fruit. I'll write him a letter. <laughs> the fruit of the Holy Spirit are, it seems to me, largely fruit of sustained interaction with God. Get this. This is very important. Sustained interaction with God. When you have sustained interaction with God, it bubbles up and overflows with this fruit of the Holy Spirit. He continues. Just as a child picks up traits more or less simply by dwelling in the presence of her parent, so the Christian develops tenderheartedness, compassion, humility, forgiveness, joy, and hope through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit within us. That is, by dwelling in the presence of God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, His Son. And this means to a very large extent, living in a community of serious believers. When we are living in the community of Christians and dwelling in the presence of God the Father and His Son, walking by the Holy Spirit, spending time in prayer and spending time in His Word and spending time in spiritual disciplines, the fruit of the Spirit will come naturally, the way God intended. But when we are not spending time with God in prayer and spiritual disciplines and time with the church family, and we question why we cannot follow God, the first step is to... Make sure you're holistically connected to the church. Make sure you're spending time in daily devotions. Spending time with God. 
It's going to be time in prayer. I read about someone who visited a vineyard <laughs> where they grow grapes on bushes. And, uh, and uh, the interesting thing, though, is that they do not often make their profit until 15, 16, 18 years after they start their vineyard. The first year of vintner plants shoots of vines rather than seeds. At the end of the first growing season, he cuts them back. A second year passes, he cuts them back again. Only after the third year does he see his first viable cluster of grapes. Serious vintners leave those clusters on the vines. And for most vintners, it's not until year four that they bring in their first harvest. So year four, they get the harvest. And then for those growing grapes for winemaking, they'll bottle their harvest, but won't taste the fruit of their labors until year seven or eight. And then most vineyards in Napa Valley won't reach a break-even point until 15, 18, or beyond. Applying these insights to her spiritual life, uh, Margaret Feinberg writes, Sometimes I look at my own life and wonder, Why am I not more fruitful? And why does pruning have to hurt so much? Why does cultivating a healthy crop take so long? Yet those questions circle around the here and now. God's perspective is much different. Like a good vineyard owner, like a good vineyard owner, he knows how to bring about fruitfulness better than I ever will. And he is patient. God is patient with us, more patient than we are with ourselves. And we will fulfill our callings. We must recognize that, like the vintners, our fruitfulness will not come overnight. The first harvest of our labors may not come for three or four or five years. We just have to stay close to God, keep following God as God does his work, developing, shaping, and molding us and developing the fruit of the Holy Spirit within us. Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, first and foremost? You know, my encouragement is that you pray this passage, that you pray that you have the fruit of the Spirit, that you pray that for yourself and for your children as spiritual leaders in the home. You're praying the Word of God for your children, for your grandchildren, and so on. But first and foremost, are you committed to King Jesus? There's an interesting insight in John chapter 6. About verse 60, the passage begins to talk about disciples, disciples of Jesus who leave. Jesus gives a strong message, and they leave. And all that is left in front of Jesus are the twelve. But yet they're called disciples. Jesus calls us to believe in him, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except by him, John 14, 6. Jesus calls us to trust in him as the Lord and Savior. And Jesus calls us to commit to him, to be disciples, to be committed to him, trusting in him as Savior. And I want to ask you as the congregation here, are you trusting in him? Are you following him? We are corrupted across the United States of America. The church across the United States of America has been corrupted by this idea of easy believism. Just say a sinner's prayer and you're saved. You can still live like the, live like the devil, live like the world. You can still have all, these, uh, all this fruit of the world and you're saved. I wouldn't stake your eternal life on that. And if you believe that, you're also lacking the full joy of the Christian life. The full joy that Jesus wants to give you right now through serving and living in him. What Jesus has to offer you right now by being a follower of Jesus, being committed to Jesus, is better by far than anything the world has for you. So I challenge you and I encourage you because I, 
pastored uh, full-time as senior pastor, seven years and something now, and was associate before that, but I've um, pastored 50-some funerals. And I stand at the grave, and I love it when I can pronounce this person was saved. This person is with Jesus in heaven right now. This person knew the Lord. Their life showed that they knew the Lord. I love that. And the family loves that too. I struggle when I know that at some point they were baptized, but they didn't darken the door of a church for years. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't live for the Lord. I'm always hoping that they believed enough and that they accepted Jesus' gift of forgiveness. But the church is corrupted by easy believism. I encourage you. Second, uh, not, don't, don't take my word for it. 2 Corinthians 13.5 encourages you. Examine yourself and make sure you're in the faith unless you fail the test. Please, I encourage you. I challenge you. Go home. Examine yourself. Now, don't get schizophrenic about it. I don't want you getting depressed. But examine yourself. Make sure you know Jesus. Examine yourself with the fruit of the Spirit. Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Examine yourself with your commitment to the church. And it's not about saying some sinner's prayer ten times for forgiveness. No. If you find yourself lacking... Well, where you're lacking, confess it to God, repent, and try to do better. If you're lacking in church commitment, start saying, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to join a discipleship class. I want to come to church and I want to come to Sunday school. I want to come to Wednesday night Bible study. If you're lacking in service and church is more about getting and, you, and, and receiving and you're never giving back, See if you can help with Friends Club or with children's ministry or with youth ministry or with the, with the dinner or, with the, or something or with the prayer chain, you know? I would love to give you a prayer list. Even for those that are struggling with mobility or whatever, prayer is, such a, prayer is as powerful as anything else you can do for the church. I encourage you. Make sure you're committed to King Jesus. Make sure you're striving to make Jesus Lord of your life. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Let's pray right now. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you are Lord of our life. I pray that you're Lord of all. I know that doesn't mean we're perfect. We're all going to struggle and we're all going to mess up. We're all going to sin. But Holy Spirit, convict us and help us to repent. Convict us and help us to repent so that we follow you. When we take, when we're taking three steps forward in our spiritual life and it seems like we're taking, we took four steps backward. Help us repent, do an about face, turn around. And may the pattern of our life be a reflection of following you. May the pattern of our life be following you, Jesus. Help us to be committed. Holy Spirit, as pastor of Bethel, friends, I know that there are a lot. I won't say a lot, but there are some who are lacking commitment to you. And certainly the truth is, some days I have to repent. Many days, every day I have to repent of something. Holy Spirit, be a convictional presence in our life. For those that are lacking, listening right now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would confront them with that. Confront them with the truth, not from me, but from your word. Luke 9, 23, Jesus, you said, anyone can come after me, anyone, but he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. Jesus, you, call it, you give us a free gift of salvation, completely free, but you call us to commit, to die to self, and to live to you. Lord, help us to die to self and live to you. Help us to make you Lord of our life. Help us to make you Lord. Help us to follow. 
And we're going to struggle. So Holy Spirit, we can't do this on our own. Don't let us do it on our own. Holy Spirit, don't let us live the Christian life in our own strength. Make us get to the point where we have to depend upon you. That's my prayer, Lord. Hear my heart and hear our heart right now. And if anyone here has never committed to you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day where they confess they're a sinner in need of a Savior. They believe that you are the only Savior. They're trusting in you and committing their life to you. Holy Spirit, help us all to follow you. Help us to have the fruit of the Spirit. Help us to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Holy Spirit, I don't, I don't only pray that for me and us. I pray that for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and so on. May they know you as Lord and Savior. May they follow you. And may they have the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Holy Spirit, reign in our lives. Take control of our lives. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.